Well, friends, we're about to start our new series on the Gospel of Mark today. And I've said it before, I'll say again, I'm excited to start this series. It's fantastic to just be able to spend time diving into Jesus' life and having a real close look at who he is and why that matters. And before we start, I want to say a few little things. Um, I'd love for everyone to be bringing physical Bibles along if you've got them, uh, because I think that's the best way, because we're learning to look into God's Word and we're not distracted. I know we have them on our phones, but I'd like to encourage you guys to bring Bibles if you uh, have one. If you don't have one, go and see our ushers. I haven't told them this, but they'll give you a Bible, So uh, because we want you to have God's Word to look at. So I'd um, encourage you to do that in the coming weeks. Also, um, what I'd love to encourage is people to be asking questions of the Bible, okay, of I'm not the authority here, like the Bible's the authority, so if as I'm preaching and you've got questions and things coming in, I'd love to hear them, so you can just email them uh, directly to me, and and then in the coming weeks, then I'll answer those questions as best as I can. Can't promise I'll answer them perfectly, but I'll do the best job I can. So you can email them to me, iggy.wong at cpchurch.com, if you've got questions from the sermon. I'd love to hear them. All right, so... Friends, as we, as we come to this book, yeah, uh, there's, there's, there's a few questions uh, that we should bring. Number one, who is Jesus? Number two, what has he come to do? And number three, why should I care? Why does it matter? Yeah. These three questions are questions that we should be bringing as we start our journey with Jesus Christ, as we, uh, over the next few months, as we start walking with him, as we hear his teachings, as we see what he does, and as we come to the end of that journey, we will have those, answer, those answers. We will have those questions answered. Who is Jesus? What has he come to do? And why does that matter to me? And let me tell you something. Those answers change everything. They change everything. They will change everything you understand about history. They will change everything you think about in terms of your life right now. What am I living for and how to make decisions? And they'll change your future eternally. So these answers really matter. So I'm glad you're here to start our journey with us, with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. So are you ready? Let's, let's get ready to dive in, to meet Jesus and to see who he is. Now, before we start, let's, let's, I'll give you just a little bit of context about this book. So, who wrote the book? Uh, it was a guy called Mark, as the title of the book suggests. Now, Mark wasn't one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, but he was actually a close friend of Peter, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' inner circle. So, what this book is, is actually, it's the testimony of the Apostle Peter, almost, yeah? Written by his good friend Mark, Mark, his writer. Yeah? So, we're getting this uh, close eyewitness Uh, testimony written down for us. So we're getting insight, a very close insight into Jesus' life. Now, what sort of book is this as well? Uh, The Bible's got a lot of different types of books and genres. This is what we call a historical narrative. Now, it's history in the sense that it's a record of real events that actually happened, but it's not a history in the sense of a comprehensive scientific report of every single little thing that happened. It's, It's a narrative. It's a story. It's written to present us key truths, historical truths, in a way which gives us a picture accurately of who Jesus Christ is. And that's a big question that this story is written to address. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, we get a bit of a spoiler 
in the first verse. So open up your Bibles with me, follow along with me. If you don't have Bibles with you, they'll be coming, uh, the key verses will be coming up on the screen, but I'd love you to open your Bibles with me. So the first verse, we get a bit of a spoiler to this question. Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and it goes on, as it is written, Isaiah the prophet, that's about John the Baptist, I'll tell you about that later. But verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So Mark sort of gives the ending away. He tells us who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of God. I don't know if you've got those friends who always um, tell you the end of a movie before you've seen the movie, or they tell you the sports score when you've recorded it and you want to watch it later. Well, Mark's that guy. He just tells you before, before you've actually you know, taken time to actually dig in. But Mark does it for a specific reason. Because he wants, us to, he wants us to have the right framework to build our picture of Jesus Christ with. He wants us to have the right lens for us to read this text with. He wants us to start out with the right viewpoint that Jesus is the Messiah, first of all. The Christ. They both mean the same thing. Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. That's the first thing he wants us to know. And he wants us to know that Jesus is the Son of God. The Messiah, the Son of God. These are the two things to have in our heads as we read this narrative. Now, these are important sounding titles, right? Messiah, Son of God. But what, what exactly do they mean? What's the significance of these titles? With these titles, Mark builds our expectations, but doesn't quite give us the answer yet, does he? So we keep these questions in mind as we continue on. Right from the get-go, Mark gives us huge expectations of who Jesus will be. But the first person we actually meet in the story, it isn't Jesus, is it? It's actually John the Baptist. And John gets a little intro of his own. John gets a little introduction. Have a look at verses 2 to 3 with me. Verses 2 to 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him. Now, this is a quote from Isaiah 40, verse 3. Now, I don't know if you've read the book of Isaiah. Many of us have actually studied it in this church, but the book of Isaiah, when you actually read it, it's actually a bit depressing. It's a bit of a depressing book, especially for the first half of the book, verses uh, chapter 1 to 39. It's all about Israel's disobedience. It's all about judgment. It's all about God's wrath. It's, it's not a pleasant read. But Isaiah 40 is where things change. Isaiah 40 says this. It'll be coming up on the screen. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah 40 is the turning point of Isaiah. It's a message of comfort, a message of hope, a message of forgiveness of sins, a message of renewal. It's the turning point. And this quote from John, uh, from Isaiah, as it introduces John the Baptist, tells us something. It tells us, as we see John appear, as we see him as a messenger preparing the way for the Lord, that this amazing hope of forgiveness, 
of renewal, of real comfort, that's right around the corner. It's right around the corner. And once again, our expectations are heightened. They get bigger. So then we see John the Baptist. He enters the scene and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River and he's proclaiming, he's preaching a message saying, repent, uh, turn away from your sins, get ready for forgiveness. Yeah, you need to be cleansed, get ready for forgiveness. Uh, the Lord is coming and he's baptizing people in the River Jordan. But just in case there's any confusion to who he is, because he's getting really famous. A lot of people are coming along. They're coming to see who this great guy is, hear his preaching. He says this in verses 7 to 8. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John says, you think I'm great. Well, you, you haven't seen anything yet. John's like the, he's like the pre-show before the main event. He's like the entree before the main course. That's a bit of a MasterChef reference I've been watching a little bit there. You think he's good. He might be good. He's great, actually. But he's nothing compared to what's to come. He, will baptize, he baptizes with water. Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This will be amazing. And once again, our expectations... They get bigger. They get bigger. Who is this guy going to be? What's he going to do? And finally, we see Jesus entering the scene. Jesus comes down to the Jordan River. He comes to John and he says, John, I, I need to be baptized by you. And as we record it here in Mark, but um, in the other Gospels, it states John's objection to this. And you can understand that, right? He says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm, I'm not baptizing you. I need, to be, I need to be baptized by you. What are you, what are you talking about? I'm not going to baptize you. But Jesus says, it, no, you need to do this. He insists. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly why Jesus needs to be baptized, because when you think about it, he doesn't have sin, right? He's sinless. Why does Jesus need to be baptized for forgiveness of sins? Uh, perhaps it's to identify with the people that he's coming to save, to say that I stand with you, even though I'm not a sinner. I stand in your place. Yeah, we're not sure, it doesn't quite say here, but what it does highlight is what happens at the baptism. After Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water, he looks up to the heavens, he sees the skies being torn open and the Holy Spirit coming down, descending on him like a dove. And he hears a voice, and it's the voice of God, and it says this, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Now, you don't hear God actually speak much in the gospel narratives. So when he speaks, it's important. There's huge significance here. He calls Jesus his beloved son. Now, this isn't just a warm, relational, um, you know, daddy-son sort of term. This has huge significance because when God is talking about Jesus being his son, he's actually drawing from all the Old Testament um, um, pictures of who the son is. And primarily Psalm 2. Have a look at Psalm 2. It's coming up on the screen. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. God declares Jesus to be his son, which means this. He's declaring Jesus to be his conquering king from Psalm 2. 
the one that all nations will be given to, the one where all enemies will not be able to stand, the ones that will be crushed before the conquering king. God is declaring Jesus to be the conquering, victorious king, his beloved son. That's what it means. And not only that, what else does God say? He says, with you, I'm well pleased. And this has huge significance too because it's drawn from Isaiah 42. We're going back to the prophet Isaiah. Right? And this is what it says. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, that happened at the baptism, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. So what's God saying when he says, with you I am well pleased? He's saying this, that Jesus is the suffering servant of the Isaiah. That he is the one that will bring forth justice to the nations. But how will he do that? He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus is declared to be the servant that comes in gentleness and humility to bring forth justice in servanthood. And here we see two pictures of Jesus coming together. We see Jesus, the conquering king, victorious over all nations. And we see Jesus, the humble, gentle servant who will bring forth justice. When you think of a king, when you think of authority, you don't think of someone who will wash people's feet, who will serve others, who will do things for others. Kings come to be served, not to serve. But in Jesus, we see Jesus as the king and the servant. These two completely opposite, paradoxical things, they come together in one man. Jesus is the servant king. Right from the get-go, we're told this. He's declared to be the servant king. Now, what will that look like? What will that look like? Well, that's the question to keep in mind as we continue on in this narrative. What will the servant king do? Well, Jesus is commissioned to go into ministry. Uh, he's declared, his role is declared clearly by the Father, and he's sent into the wilderness. He's tested by Satan, um, and Satan tempts him to turn away from God, but Jesus passes with flying colors. He proves his worth. He proves his value. And now he's set to start his ministry, finally. And he goes into the region of Galilee. So here's a little map of the region. Yeah. So um, up the top of that map, sort of in that purple area, you see the region of Galilee. So this is, this is all, uh, this is modern-day Palestine. So this is Palestine in the day of Jesus' time. And he enters Galilee, and he says this. The time has come. Here, are the, these are the first words of Jesus Christ. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The first words of Jesus' ministry, here they are. 
Now, when in the days of Jesus, the Jews were actually, they were waiting, right, for the king to come because they were under uh, the oppression of the Roman Empire, a foreign empire was ruling them. They were God's people. They were wondering what's happening to us. We should be prosperous. We should be um, really blessed. We need someone to liberate us from this kingdom. We need to get back to the glory days. And they're thinking, this is what the king's going to come do. And when Jesus comes, declares the kingdom, the hope is raised. But friends, let me tell you something. They're thinking way too small. Because when Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is near, it's so close you can almost touch it. He's saying this, that the end of time is coming. It's around the corner. A new reality is coming. A new renewal of heavens and earth. A place, a time, a reality of comfort, of joy, of perfection. A time where God's reign and rule will be established and His blessings will flow out onto all the earth. A time of great prosperity with God is coming. That's what Jesus is declaring. The kingdom of God is what Jesus is on about. And this will shape His ministry the entire way through. The kingdom of God. And Jesus is the king in that kingdom. And as the king starts his ministry, we see clearly that he has some amazing authority. Amazing authority. Now, Jesus, next we see him walking by the Sea of Galilee. Um, uh, so back on the map again, you'll see that the Sea of Galilee right up the top there, that little blue uh, circle-y thing <laughs> up the top. The Sea of Galilee, he's walking beside the sea uh, and he sees... Uh, two men there. He sees Simon and Andrew casting their nets out to sea because they're fishermen. And he says to them, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop everything and they follow him. Uh, and then he, then he walks along and he sees two more men. He sees James and John. And he says to them, come, follow me. And they drop everything and they follow him. And here we see Jesus is a man with authority. A man with authority. Now, when, how do you know when someone has authority? When you think about it, how do you know when someone has authority? It's because when they say something, you do it, right? When they say something, you do it. Think about the people that have authority over you, and you do have people over, with authority over you, right? when you think about it. Your boss, um, maybe your parents, maybe the policeman that's just pulled you over. They have authority, and you know that because when they say something, you listen to them. Now, sometimes my kids, they try to change the authority relationships at home. Um, <clears throat> uh, the other day, Natasha, my oldest daughter, said to me, hey, Daddy, I've got an idea for you. Um, why don't you clean up your toys and then you can watch TV? <laughs> I was like, what? You know, needless to say, I didn't listen to her. You know why? Because she's a five-year-old girl. She's my daughter. She doesn't have authority over me. I'm the one with authority over her. When I say something, she listens, not the other way around. When you have authority, what you say happens. When you say something, people listen. That's how you know when someone has authority. And here Jesus, he has authority over men, over people. He calls, they come. We see Jesus with authority. But that's not where it ends. Because Jesus then enters into the, into the temple, into the synagogue, sorry, the, the gathering place of the Jews, their place, their religious place. He starts teaching, 
And he has amazing authority in his teaching. People marvel and are astounded at his authority in his teaching. They say, this, this man has authority and not like the scribes. And when you think about who the scribes were, they were the, uh, the Jewish teachers who knew everything about the Old Testament, the Old Testament law. They represented everything about that religion. But Jesus blows them out of the water. They've got nothing compared to the authority of Jesus. And when Jesus, as Jesus is teaching the crowds there, he's teaching them about amazing truths. Then all of a sudden the meeting is interrupted and there's a scream up the back of the meeting and an interruption. Everyone turns around and in comes a man possessed by an unclean spirit. And he screams out at Jesus. He says this, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus. Come out of him. And the unclean spirit leaves. Jesus has authority over unclean spirits, even. When he says something, it happens. And as Jesus leaves the synagogue, he enters the house of Simon, one of his disciples that he's just picked up. Um, and Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She's lying ill on her bed. She's got a fever. Um, back in those days, often a sign of death because it showed an infection that couldn't be cured. No antibiotics back then. But Jesus takes her hand and lifts her up. And the fever leaves without even a word this time. Jesus shows he has authority, authority over sickness as well. Jesus, the one with amazing, amazing authority. Now, sometimes when we see these things, when we see Jesus uh, performing miracles and doing stuff, we can be forgiven for just taking away one simple fact, which is this, that Jesus is powerful. Man, Jesus is strong. Look at all this amazing stuff he can do. It's like Jesus is flexing his muscles, showing everyone, look how strong I am. And that's true. Like, Jesus is powerful. He's got huge authority. But let me tell you something. These miracles, they're not just a magic show to make you impressed. Remember what Jesus is on about as he comes. Can you remember his message? He's on about the kingdom of God. And these miracles are kingdom miracles. Because let me tell you about what this kingdom of God will look like a bit more. The kingdom of God to come in the future, this new reality to come, it's a place where evil is defeated. There is no more evil. Satan's power is gone. So when Jesus is casting out unclean spirits, when he's casting out demons later in the narrative, do you know what he's doing? He's showing you this is what the kingdom will be like. Evil <clears throat> is defeated. And I'm showing you a little glimpse of what they'll look like. And not only that, do you know what else the kingdom will be like? The kingdom of God is a place where there's no more sickness, no more illness, no more suffering, no more pain. Right? Revelation 21 tells us that. So as Jesus is uh, doing away with sickness, as he's healing people and restoring people, do you know what he's showing you? He's showing you what the kingdom of God will look like. He's bringing in the kingdom. And there's something even more significant there. Because let me ask you, um, when you think about sickness in this world, do you know why sickness exists in this world? Do you know why it's here? It's because of sin 
It's because of sin. Now, I'm not saying that if you're sick today, if you've got a cold today and the person sitting next to you doesn't, you've been more sinful during the week. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, Jesus speaks out against that sort of thinking. I'm, I'm talking about a broad sense that the reason that there's sickness, that there's suffering, that there's death in this world, it's, it's a consequence of sin. It's a consequence of the fact that we rebelled against God and this is what we brought into the world, sickness and death. So when Jesus starts rolling back sickness, when he starts healing, when he starts restoring, when he starts raising people from the dead, do you know what he's actually doing? He's reversing the impact of sin. He's reversing the impact of sin. He's rolling back the consequences of sin. So when Jesus heals, he's actually showing you something much bigger. That sin's power is no more. This is the authority of Jesus Christ over sickness, over evil, and over sin itself. Friends, don't, don't miss out on the importance, the significance of Jesus' miracles. They're not just a magic show. They point to the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, as we return to the narrative, we actually see that many people miss the point. Um, we see Jesus' fame spreading, and this is where we'll pick up the narrative uh, past the Bible reading. Uh, we see Jesus' fame spreading to all the surrounding countrysides, and people are coming to Jesus. And it makes sense, too. If you heard someone who just heal everything just by speaking, you would come to see them. So people are crowding around the door of uh, Simon's house, where his mother-in-law is, and they, they're wanting healing, they're wanting demons to be cast out. Jesus is doing this all day, all night. But amidst all this, he finds time because he takes some time out. He goes away by himself. Um, well, he's not really by himself because he's actually spending time with his father. He wakes up early in the morning before anyone else is awake, walks out the door, goes to a, um, a private place by himself. And he starts praying. He does his quiet time. And back at the house, you can imagine the disciples wake up. They're looking around. They're like, Wait, where's Jesus gone? And they start freaking out because there's already people banging at the door, wanting healing, wanting, wanting demons to be cast out, but Jesus is nowhere to be found. So the disciples, they run out, they go looking for Jesus. They're like, where is he? They finally find him. And they say to him, Jesus, we need you. People need you. Everyone is looking for you. People need healing. People need demons to be cast out. And you know what Jesus says to them? He looks up from his prayer and he looks to them and he says this. Let us go somewhere else. Let's go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. That is why I've come. All these demands on Jesus, all these things to do, healing, casting out demons, and Jesus says, let's go. Guys, we need to go to the next villages. Why? Because Jesus has come to preach the gospel. He's come to preach the gospel. This is his priority. This is the most important thing. This is what he's come to do. Jesus is putting first things first, preaching the gospel. Now, it doesn't tell you exactly what he's preaching, like the exact message, but I can tell you, I, I think we can have a pretty good guess. It would go something like this. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. 
Because friends, let me tell you, right from the first words of Jesus' ministry till the day he dies, he doesn't stop talking and preaching the kingdom of God. This is his gospel. This is the good news. This reality of new hope, renewal, and new creation coming in. This is what he's come to do. Preach this message. And Jesus, when he... Let me tell you something. Jesus has a lot of good things to do. All right? He's got a lot of demands on him. Yeah, his priority is preaching gospel, but yet he continues on, right? He continues on healing. He continues on casting out demons. You'll see, you'll see that. But it's never, never separated from the preaching of the gospel. This is what he's come to do. And his message is clear. Repent and believe. And that's the call for us today. Right now. Yeah in 2018. Repent and believe. Turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus, the King, and believe. That's what he's calling us to do through this narrative. Now, if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, not yet a follower of Jesus, then I hope you've seen that who Jesus is. He's the one with amazing authority the Messiah, the Son of God, this one prophesied from long ago. Right? This is who He is. And He's come to bring in the kingdom. I hope you've seen what He's come to do. Bring in the kingdom. And He's calling you to repent and believe. And that's a hard thing. I get that because this is what it means for you. It means you stop following yourself and you stop following and you start following Jesus. It means you take yourself off the throne and you put Jesus Christ on the throne and you let him call the shots. It means you stop living according to your own agenda and you start living according to Jesus' agenda and what he wants. Will you do that? Will you repent and will you believe? This is the most difficult thing in the world to do, to repent and believe because sin is deeply ingrained into our hearts and we don't want to do that we want to live for ourselves but let me tell you Jesus is saying that he has an offer for you that he's bringing in the kingdom of God a reality of real joy of real comfort of God's reign and rule and blessing being eternal and he wants you to be there he wants you there So will you repent and believe and turn to the King? Now let me just address the believers who switched off as soon as I said repent and believe because you've already done that. Um, I don't know if that's how you think about repentance. That maybe uh, you're a believer in Jesus already and you've repented already because on the day that you became a Christian when you said that little sinner's prayer, um, you repented, you turned away from sin and you've turned away to Jesus and that's done. You don't need to repent anymore. Well, let me tell you, you're wrong. Because repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's each and every day. Because whilst the power of sin has been broken over us as believers, the presence of sin still remains, doesn't it? You and I both know that. Each and every day, we, we, we still sin. We turn away from Jesus. We do our own thing. We selfishly live for our own glory, not for Him. So each and every day, we need to turn back to Jesus. We need to keep turning away from sin and keep turning back to Jesus each and every day, multiple times a day. We need to just keep doing it. 
Because we can never stop relying on the grace of Jesus Christ. The minute we stop repenting is the minute we stop relying on Jesus and we start relying on ourselves. Friends, it's Jesus' mercy, Jesus' forgiveness, Jesus' grace that saves us. And we need to continually repent and turn back to Him. Can I urge you believers to live out a lifestyle of repentance? It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. And can I continue talking to uh, the believers amongst us for another minute? An implication that comes out of this passage that I really want to bring to you. And um, if you'll forgive me, I need to be a bit blunt with this one. You need to get your priorities straight. You need to get your priorities straight. We have so many things to do in this life. I talk to a lot of people. I see a lot of people and what they do. And uh, let me tell you, there's so much stuff to do. We're busy. I get it. We're, we're, we're all busy. But so often, we're not doing the right things. We're not doing the right things. We're, it's like you're climbing a ladder with all your might, with all your strength, trying to make progress and go hard, but you're climbing the wrong ladder. You're going up the wrong building. It's leading you to the wrong place. Life is busy. It's a struggle. There's so many things to do. We have to work. We have to spend time with our families. We've got to spend time with our kids. We've got to, um, on our parents, we've got, to, um, we've got to come to Bible study. We've got to go to church. We've got to study. Uh, we've got to, um, I don't know, apply for jobs. We've got to, there's so many things in life. We've got, to, we've got to enjoy ourselves, so we've got to have hobbies, right? There's so many things to do. So what do I invest my time and energy in? That's the questions that always come up, right? What, what, what do I use my time for? How do I use my time well? Well, let me tell you something. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then His priorities should be your priorities. Jesus' priorities should be your priorities. And as you've seen from the passage today, He has one clear, crystal clear priority. And that's preaching the gospel. That's the most important thing the most important thing. Now, I don't want you to hear me wrongly, okay? Some of you, when you hear that, you think, oh, okay, nothing else I do is valuable. Um, I guess I've got to give up my, everything I do and just go into full-time paid ministry. Uh, here we go again. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Right? God's given us lots of good things to do. Work is good. Family is good. Right? Coming to church is good. Yeah, of course it is. But... There are a lot of good things in this world, but some good things are better than others, friends. We know that to be true. Some good things are better than others, and this is the best thing, because this is what is on Jesus' heart. This is His priority, and if we are followers of Jesus Christ, then this is what we're called to as our number one priority as well. People, um, when they give their last words, they often say the most significant thing to them, right? You get that classic scene in the movie where last words are given. Do you know what Jesus' last words were before he left? I think you might. Go and make disciples of all nations. This priority of preaching the gospel, it never stopped for Jesus. 
And it didn't even stop when he left because he left it for us to continue. To all nations. And the end of that commission says, until the end of time. So let me ask you, when was the last time you had a conversation about Jesus with someone? When was the last time? Have you been praying for someone to bring to church, to bring to our evangelistic event coming up, so that they can hear the gospel? Have you um, talked to your work friends or your uni friends or school friends um, about significant issues um, in society and life so that uh, maybe somehow you can uh, get to the Bible's view and maybe start a conversation. Just take that first step. Are these the things on your hearts? Are these the things that center your life? Is, is your priority the preaching of the gospel, friends? Now, I know this is difficult. We aren't Jesus. I'm fully aware of that. (laughs) It's very difficult. We aren't Jesus, but we are called to follow in his footsteps. But let me leave you with an encouragement, friends. As we preach this gospel message, as we preach and bring out the message of the kingdom of God, Be confident in one thing, that this message is the hope of the world. This is the message the world needs to hear. That this kingdom of God coming in, this proclamation of the kingdom coming in, and the the, uh, proclamation that you can actually be a part of that if you turn away and come to Jesus, this message, it transforms life. It changes people's lives. There is nothing more important than this message because there's nothing more important to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, than this one message. Friends, the gospel is the hope of the world. Is it your priority? Is it? Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you've given us. We thank you for the gospel of Mark, which has already, at this early stage, given us such a huge picture of who Jesus is, the one with amazing authority, the one who has come to bring in the kingdom, and the one whose heart is set purely on this proclamation of the kingdom of God to all the lost. My friend, uh, God, we just ask that we... You help us to align our priorities with Jesus' priorities. Help us firstly to repent and believe as he calls on us to, and then, Father, help us to just bring this message out, to center our lives on the preaching of the gospel, to do so even though we are weak and unable, knowing that your Holy Spirit works through us as weak and fallible people. And may we do so knowing that this brings you great glory and that will bring many more to join in this glorious kingdom on that final day. And pray these things for your glory. Amen.
Thank you so much, Pastor Iggy, for the very encouraging and challenging message that we might take time to just reflect on our relationship with God. I'll be, I'll be repenting daily that this is a lifestyle, that we don't just repent when we believe, but this is a daily repentance that we do so that we are align, aligning our will with God's will. Thank you for that message. And thank you for sharing with us about the King, Jesus Christ, our King. He's not only the Messiah, he's the beloved Son of God, the Anointed One, the conquering and victorious King. And today we can come to bring him our offering that he alone deserves. So as the ushers prepare to come to take up the offering, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the fresh reminder today of who you are, the God who sent your only Son, the Messiah, our Savior and Lord, to deliver us from sin, from the grips of Satan, to give us a message of hope. We thank you for what you have been doing in the world and for what you are doing in our lives. And Lord, today as we give to you a little bit of what you have given to us, we say thank you from the very depths of our hearts. And we ask you to bless this offering for the extension of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ashes. Please stand as we sing in response. He became sin Who knew no sin He might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross of so amazing love so amazing Jesus Messiah Above all men, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, 
rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all, His body the bread, His blood the wine. Broken and poured out all for love. The whole earth trembled and the veil was torn. Love so amazing. Love so amazing. Jesus Messiah. Name of the Lord, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven. Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. All I hope is in you. All I hope is in you. All the glory to you. The world, all I hope is in you. All I hope is in you. All the glory to you, God. The light of the world, Jesus Messiah. Name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven. Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. Please be seated. us to understand more and more who this Jesus is, the God of Messiah, the God of Messiah. Let's have some community news now, Wayne. Morning church, uh, my name is Wayne and um, I'm one of the leaders at CIA. Um, so just making a quick announcement today for CIA camp, yeah, so... <laughs> cool. 
sorry. Um, it already has the date up there. CIA camp will be running from during the third term holidays, um, or the third, the third school term holidays. Um, so it'll be the 20th of September, which is a Friday, to the 1st of October, which is a Monday. Um, registrations will be opening um, soon, should be sometime the upcoming week. So there's nothing you guys have to do now, but if any of you guys have any questions, um, feel free to ask any of the CIA leaders or me, and um, more information to come in the upcoming weeks. And yeah, cool. Thanks, Wayne. Morning, church. My name's Vivian, and I'm going to be as excited as Wayne is. <laughs> in a few weeks' time, we have an exciting event uh, with the women's event coming up on the 25th of August, and we would love to invite all women of all ages